Are you dealing with the trials of a difficult marriage or going through a separation or divorce? Welcome to the club, friend. Life is messy and it can be hard. I'm Jen Zingmark, a Christian life coach, and I have good news for you. There is a path to find hope, healing, and happiness, no matter what your circumstances are, and I can help you find joy in your journey. So let's go. Today on the podcast, I welcome Jason Harwood. He is a speaker, a coach, and an author who focuses on the fun side of habits and not just any habits, the habits that make you happier. Jason has spent a decade working with hundreds of leaders across the country to focus their growth on their top priorities, and he currently lives in Kuna, Idaho, with his wife and seven children, and he runs, reads, podcasts, but most often you will find him at the baseball or softball field, swimming pool, basketball court, a dance studio, piano or choir recital, or a wrestling gym. I love that. Welcome, Jason. I was at almost all of those things like within the past two weeks. <laughs> Luckily, other than wrestling. Luckily, my son who used to wrestle, he gave it up. And, and I will tell people, wrestling. my personal opinion, wrestling tournaments are by far the least enjoyable athletic event I've ever <laughs> I will have to agree with you. A child participated. Oh. I will agree with that. And swim meets. Did you ever? Did any of your kids swim? Uh, yeah, I have a swimmer, and I I will take swim meets ten times oh. out of ten out over um, a wrestling tournament. The only one at swim meets is they do like a I think it's like a five thousand meter or something like that, and it's like a fifteen minute long swim. And uh, yeah, that one. Oh, I know. I feel you. Those things go on and on and on. Same with wrestling. Fortunately, my boys never wrestled, but we did go to a couple and I was like, thank goodness. We never got into that. Not doing that. Yeah. Oh, well, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining me. Great to be here. Appreciate the message and and the uh, positive impact uh, that you're having. And, And hopefully that continues today. Oh, yes. I, I know that it will. So let's start uh, by having you share a little bit about yourself, where you're from and your educational background and a little bit more about your career and your family. Yeah. So I grew up, my gosh, like the place I grew up is I'm, I'm sort of glad I don't live there anymore. I grew up in Kaysville, Utah, and I'm glad I don't live there because in my mind, it still lives in the way it was. Mm-hmm. 30 years ago, 40 years. My family moved there when I was like four years old. And I lived there until uh, the um, two days after I left on my mission, my parents moved. Oh. And so I had packed up all of my stuff. So I lived there all growing up, loved it. It was just the best, an amazing place, loved it. Uh, grew up there, went on a mission to the Philippines um, studied at Rick's college. And then it, as it transitioned to BYU, Idaho, luckily they had a major that I was interested in, which was marketing. I had gotten an associate's degree in broadcasting and then switched to marketing. And in the process of that, I I met a guy who was in the classes for teaching seminary. And so I started attending those, which was really just one of these weird miracles because At the time, there weren't seminary teaching classes being taught at BYU-Idaho because it was just a two-year school at the time and they didn't have it set up yet. But there was a satellite class in Idaho Falls, and there was probably 10 people from BYU-Idaho or Rick's College that were going. And I happened to be in the ward with one of them. Wow. One of 10 people out of like 10,000 going to the school. So he said, yeah, you should come take the class. So I went and took the classes. Things worked out. It's a a pretty grueling hiring process because lots of people would love to be seminary teachers and they have very limited spots. But I I, uh, was fortunate and got to teach seminary for five years in Utah, Ben Lomond High School and Bonneville High Schools. How cool. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's super fun. Great, great experience. And you know, at the time, it just sadly financially was not a match. We, my <laughs> first three kids were born during that time pretty quickly. And I said, you know, I can, I can be happy doing a lot of things and I either have to do something else or I've got to take 
on a, a more significant second job. And so uh, mm-hmm. at the time decided to pack up and my uh, ex-wife is from the Boise area. So we moved up here and I bounced around for a couple of sales jobs. And <laughs> my immediate job immediately after teaching seminary was selling furniture at RC Willie. That was like the job <laughs> I could get up here. So that was a change and sadly made a ton more money (laughs) and then uh, landed a job at the company I'm, I'm with now and have been working uh, with this. It's a little company called Sensi. It's uh, out of Meridian, Idaho up here. And I've been working with them for 14 years, got a master's of education through all of that. And so it's been a fun journey, but it's interesting because one of the things I always tell my kids, we now have seven kids. Two of them are seniors. Graduation day is tomorrow. Oh, it's so exciting. exciting. Yeah, I that's know. a big deal. Lots yes. And my son yesterday was talking. They have pathways now in high school. This didn't exist when I was a kid. And because yeah. I was talking with him about what he wants to do. He's a freshman and he said, I'm not in the business pathway. I'm in the health something pathway. <laughs> and I said, trust me. You'll be fine. Yeah, it's Whatever okay. There's plenty to... of time. Yeah. You got lots of time to change yeah. your path. Because, <laughs> yeah, I did theater in high school. And I tell them, my first <laughs> major was theater. That's what I first declared my major to be when I went to Rick's. And then even before I got there, I was like, wait a minute. You get a degree in theater. What, what is it like? What's the job you're getting? So before I even I started, it. I switched to broadcasting, switched to marketing, taught seminary, got a master's in education. And now for the past 14, 15 years have worked for a, a totally different company doing totally different things. So, you know, you just wander your way through life, I suppose. Yeah. So cool. Well, I'm interested about your career uh, working with leaders across the country to help them focus on their top priorities. Yeah. And I guess, is that what led you to, you know, discovering the fun side of habits? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm curious, I, how did those connect? <laughs> yeah, so I do in my in my job, I do a lot of um, training and business and leadership development and have been very fortunate to have opportunities to work with really incredible business leaders. And that's where the whole concept of habits came in. I've always been kind of fascinated by it. I'm a pretty avid reader. And so I had read The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. I had read Tiny Habits by B.J. Fogg. Mm-hmm. I've read Atomic Habits. That's everybody's most yes, popular one. that's the one. latest one. So yeah. cool. Yes. Um, by James Clear. I, I've even had the opportunity to hear him speak in person and he's great. Oh, and God. yeah, I just read that one. It was so interesting about his yeah, baseball background book. and all that. So different. Yeah. Yeah. And so I knew all of that. What was fascinating for me was that the proper application of that wasn't getting down to what for me was a happier, more fulfilled life. Yeah. So I spent many mornings and then that would extend out through the day where you just wake up and kind of be like, oh my gosh, I do not want to do today. I'd look at my phone and look at my schedule and think, I don't want to do any of the things that are on my schedule. I you know, don't want to deal with this thing going on with my child or that thing going on in my life. And so I, but I'll never forget in the morning because what's fascinating is, is yeah, I've got a good job. I drive a nice car. It starts every time I push the little start button. Now you don't even turn a key. <laughs> yes. Um, I live in a nice neighborhood. Uh, married family, kids are doing well. You know, all of these things, and yet most mornings I would wake up and think, "Oh my gosh, I don't want to do this." And there was just one morning where I flipped my feet over the edge of my bed in my nice house next to my wife and about to go wake up my kids and so many wonderful things and so many incredible blessings. And I thought, I don't want to do this. And then all of a sudden it just hit me. And, and I talk about that with James clear. He had that horrific experience of getting hit in the face with the baseball bat when he was a senior. Mm -hmm. And that sort of forced him into figuring out habits. One of the challenges for so many of us is we don't, get hit in the face with a baseball bat. It's true. So we just go through life. And what humans tend to do is adjust to the current reality. 
-hmm. And whatever is currently going on, we kind of adjust to it and say, no, it's fine. No, it's fine. I'm okay. This is good. And, And it's almost like a sunset. If you've ever been out playing basketball, outside while the sun's setting mm-hmm. and slowly, 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 you can't see the ball anymore, but you just keep thinking like, no, it's fine. I can, no, it's fine. Yeah. No, it's okay. No, I can see it. Nope. It's fine. <laughs> Until some kid gets popped in the face with the ball and you're like, ah, guess let's go <laughs> inside true. now. Yeah. And so that's what my life was. And finally, that's the difficulty is we're oftentimes waiting around for that moment to make dramatic change. And finally, I just said, nope, not doing this anymore. I'm, I'm in my 40s. I got 40 more years to live if, if all things go well. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not living like this every day for the next 40 years. So then I took the things I'd learned about habits and made intentional habits specific to being happier, not just, you know, whether it was success in my career or flossing my teeth every day or trying to eat more vegetables or drink however many ounces of water I'm supposed, all those are fantastic (laughs) habits. Right. For me personally, they weren't making me any happier. So then I became more focused on habits specifically intended for that. That's awesome. I think it's great. I'm excited to learn from you because I I totally get that, that, you know, we all have these to-do lists and we have things we want to do, but there can be that missing element of why do, why should Mm -hmm. I do all those things? Wouldn't it be so much easier not to, and let me do something fun. So yeah. yeah, I love it. I think you've addressed something we're all missing. Well, you know, I mostly work with people that are dealing with divorce Yeah, and you and I are both divorced and um, I'm excited to talk to you a little bit about that. As you know, it's a challenge to get yourself back together, get your life back yeah. together. A divorce is like an earthquake in your life and everything is different after I'd love for you to share with us a little bit about your story, about your first marriage and how long you were married and how it ended and things, whatever you feel comfortable sharing (laughs) or how you handled all of that. Yeah. And it was weird because, I mean, so much of it was just this, it was almost like uh, I was just on a freeway because I, my birthday's in August. So I graduated, I was 17. I did a year of college before serving a mission. So two-year mission, uh, came home, and within the next year, I was married. <laughs> uh, within before our first an right before a month before our first anniversary, my first son was born. A couple months later, I graduated from college, and then that spring got hired to teach and started that next fall. So I was. 23 years old when I first got hired in my first career to teach full-time seminary. It was like a dream come true. And I was already married and had a kid. Wow. Yeah. And I tell my kids, I'm like, I I don't know what medal I thought I was going to get for going that fast. There, And it turns out there wasn't one. (laughs) I, little did I know yeah. that there's no race there. No. Uh, and yeah. then, yeah, my next daughter was born just over two years later. And my next daughter was born uh, about 18 months later. So wow. within the first couple of years, and now you know, I'm teaching full time. We've bought a small little house. We've got three kids. Mm. And I mean, it, for most people, you know, those years are a struggle. And there's no doubt that that was a significant financial struggle, but man, it sure just felt like we had met at Rick's college, BYU, Idaho. I was teaching seminary, you know, I mean, my gosh, we were living in Utah. I was teaching yes. seminary up in Ogden. It's like, man, this is great. You're and checking all those boxes. I checked like every freaking box there was. <laughs> yeah. And here I was, I had grown up in Kaysville. Like, I don't think I'd had a major life trial at all. I mean, like the hardest thing I had was, yeah, like, you know, we bought a car and then we were upside down on the car and then we had our third child. And so the car was too, a little too small. We needed, you know, I mean, it's like, those were the major life trials that I was facing. But I, I mean, I had just gotten hired to teach what is a dream job, mm-hmm. everything great. Mm-hmm. Uh, we moved up to Idaho and it, it was a difficult move because uh, we sort of, uh, uh, 
not surprising given what I've shared already, sort of moved maybe before we were like totally prepared or ready. Like I didn't have like, didn't really have a job necessarily. Uh, (laughs) One of those. (laughs) Yeah. Our house sold so fast. We sold our house in Utah, sold in a day. And so we were like, "Mm, guess we're moving. And I had a job lined up, but it wasn't starting for a few months. I was going to be an insurance agent, but, but the training wasn't starting for a few months. So anyway, but every, you know, everything just kind of moved along. And, and then I thought we had the same level of kind of underlying unhappiness that most couples do. Um, and then after nine years, uh, it's kind of strange how it all played out, but I remember getting this, looking at my cell phone bill and on my cell phone bill back then, like it told you how many text messages each account yeah, sent. I remember those days. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, we had like the, the T-Mobile where you had like five friends and you got yes. unlimited to those five people in your yes. circle type thing. Yes. And, uh, I looked at the bill and I was like, wait a minute, there's a phone number here. And my wife has sent that person 15,000 text messages last month. And I was like, mm, what the heck's going on here? So, uh, and then I'll never forget the day she walked in and said, we'd never been to counseling, nothing said, I'm done. I said, oh, you're done as in like you're done or you're done as in like we should go to counseling. And she said, well, I'll go to counseling if you want to. We went to one session of counselor counseling and the counselor was, I guess, astute enough that he said, you know, he asked her like, what are you doing here? And she said, I'm just here because he wants me to be. Mm-hmm. And he said, then we're not doing this because if you're not actually interested in making any change or growth, then it's useless. Right. And so he turned to me and said, what do you want to do then? And I said, well, guess we get a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, after nine years, four kids. Um, that was the end of that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, as you mentioned, one of the difficulties is, is that we, so much of our behavior is tied to who we see ourselves mm-hmm. as, mm-hmm. am I the type of person who, Yeah. right? So we look at a behavior and the first question we have to answer is, am I the type of person who does that? Mm-hmm. Am I the type of person who eats nothing but healthy foods? Nope. So it's okay <laughs> for me to eat ice cream yeah. and Oreos because I'm not the type of person who only eats healthy foods. Right. But so much of your life is tied up and your identity is tied up in those relationships that when all of a sudden it ends, you're like, what am I even supposed to do? Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be the type of person who is married. I'm supposed to be the type of person who raises a family. I'm supposed to be the type of person who you know, is planning on our 30 and 50 year wedding. And I'm supposed to be the type of person who goes to church with his family. I'm supposed to be the type of person. And so now you're just stuck almost knowing even how to behave because it's unclear who you are as a human being anymore. And so that's so true. You make a good point, especially as members of the church, many times, especially in our generation and our time, Divorce isn't something you consider. It, it wasn't even an option. It doesn't really matter what was going on. The mentality yeah. was more like, that's just what we do. We stick it out. We we don't mm-hmm. get divorced. We're not that kind of those kind of people, right? Nope. And when it happens, it's it's an adjustment. It's a difficult yeah. thing. And you have to figure out who you are all over again as this person who's now divorced. It's yeah. And that same counselor, he gave me some hard advice, but that's what he said is he said, listen, you don't have an identity outside of what just ended. Mm. He said, outside of like being a dad and uh, a husband, you don't, there's not much to you. And he was pretty, he was pretty harsh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but he, that was, you know, he said, you got to go create, kind of recreate yourself as a human being. Mm-hmm. you know, the things you like, because, you know, and I kind of joked around about that in my intro, even now though, it's like, what defines me? Well, going to my kids' activities is a huge piece of what defines me. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, the, the family dynamic is still a huge part of what defines me, but, uh, for all of us, we do have to have those pieces of, of who you are as a person, but, and then the feelings of, whether or not you're capable of being loved, whether you are worthy of being loved, like everything comes into question because you're just thinking, my gosh, if this could happen, like what other things are unstable around me when all of a sudden 
the thing that was kind of the central piece turns out to be unstable. And now you start worrying about the stability of a lot of other things. So that's yeah, true. You bring up a good point, battle. especially when it's not what you want and you're not the one that, you know, instigates or drives that. Yeah, it, it rocks your world in a way that it's hard to articulate and definitely you can't prepare for it. There's mm -hmm. no way of knowing exactly what that's going to feel like and be like until you're in it. Um, so how did you navigate that time? How did you figure out who you were post-divorce or in the process of your divorce? Yeah, um, I I have a unique blessing. My, my dad, was, uh, this isn't the blessing part, but about the same time all that was happening, my dad passed away and my mom retired. And so she said, well, uh, I'm going to move close to my grandkids because I have a brother and a sister, but my sister doesn't have any kids and my brother's in the military. So he's moving all over. Um, and so she moved in across the street. So it was of a significant benefit at the time to have somebody whom I was close to as my mom that close uh, to, to get through that. And then relying a lot on, I had a, you know, great Bishop at the time. Um, I joke around with a guy, he was my Bishop at the time. Now he's in our stake presidency, but when he got called the day he got called to be a Bishop later that afternoon, he came to my house. And so I always joke around that, like, you know, he gets called to be a Bishop. And the first thing he thinks is, is, oh my gosh, I got to go check in on that Jason guy. Cause <laughs> all of this was happening at that time. So I was like the top, top priority for a right. bishop, which is never a good place to be. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's fine, but I, you know. Yeah, so you're top down. on the bishop's list. Yeah. There's serious trouble going on. At yeah. That <laughs> yeah. So trying to find hobbies and interests, I enjoy running. So finding those things that you engage in. I, it's funny. I also am somewhat interested in kind of the political process. And so I even went to a couple of like, local politic meetings and things. It was, turns out it wasn't for me, but I like to listen to and complain about politicians, but to actually get involved <laughs> and do anything about it. That, that's, yeah. That's a whole nother thing. Yeah. We're not doing that. We're not yeah. Doing that. And I was in a situation where we pretty quickly moved to a 50, 50 custody. So I still had a heavy responsibility uh, which was a great blessing with my kids. And mm -hmm. so, you know, man, it was, yeah, just trying to, hold it all together. That's the trouble is, you know, these kids are going through what for them is an earth shattering experience as well. And so you got to be like, you're just trying to pretend like, Hey, it's gonna be fine. Everything's gonna be okay. You know? So you're just trying to keep it together for them. But yeah, it was uh, definitely a time of, of pain and relying on key relationships and engaging in positive behaviors that 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 were things I enjoyed doing. I think one of the challenges is is as that happens, there's kind of this empty hole ripped into your life. Mm -hmm. And you get to sort of choose what you fill that empty hole with, but those are critical decisions. And what's challenging is is sometimes we just kind of sit in the emptiness and I'm not advocating for trying to fill every minute of your life with, you know, somewhat useless or meaningless or whatever activities, but to sit in so much emptiness does I for me personally I think it 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 can create deeper difficulties. And so starting to just fill in with something uh, was helpful for me because for me activity helps me through uh some of the dark mental or emotional challenges that I face personally. So that's taking great. action was was critical for me. Yeah, that's really good advice. I love that. Well, as someone who's gone through divorce, I know many people come out feeling like I'm never doing that again. Like I don't want to get remarried. I'm not interested in a relationship. Other people come out yeah. like, okay, that one didn't work next. And they're yeah. really excited to get remarried. So what were your feelings after your divorce? Were you open to getting remarried? Did you think you would? What were some of the thoughts that you had yeah. to work through? It's funny because I mentioned the lesson I try to teach my children about the speed of life and that everything's okay just to slow it down a little bit. Right, right. I 
I didn't know that lesson then. <laughs> I know that lesson oh, now. Okay. Uh, but All right. then, uh, yeah, I met my current wife uh, about two months after the divorce was final. Oh. Uh, we met in June and and then got married in November. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You didn't know that lesson. You were you were still going, going fast. <laughs> yeah. When you were like, some people are like, all right, that didn't work next. Yeah, I fit into that category. And, <laughs> and, and you know, I mean, it's been wonderful. Love my wife. It's been a huge blessing. She's a, a fantastic blessing in my life and the life of my children. And so it's weird when you look back and you're like, what would you change? And I think, well, I mean, I guess what I would change is slow down a little bit, like take a little bit of time, process a little bit, as long as <laughs> like, you know, Brooke is still available a year later. Right. You know? Um, so, but, and it's funny because I had multiple friends who had gone through divorce, who told me that they were like, listen, you just hunker down for at least a year and just spend time with yourself, spend time with your kids, sort it out, you know, process, grow, develop. And, you know, I was kind of like, here, hold my (laughs) diet Coke. And, and, uh, Uh so it's funny because if somebody asked me like, okay, what advice would you give? I'd say, slow down you know, go, it's not what I did and things worked out. Okay. Oh, that's Uh, I I should say things worked out great. Things worked out spectacular, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it wasn't without its own series of difficulties and challenges and pain and heartache. For sure. For sure. I relate to that for sure. So (laughs) tell us your love story. How did you meet your spouse? We know it was quickly. And uh, why, how did you decide to marry her? Yeah. So we had a mutual friend, one of her, I know one of her former college roommates. And so uh, her former college roommate kind of paired us up. Yeah, it was, it was just kind of uh, so comfortable and quick. I mean, and we broke like every darn rule there was. So we were texting <laughs> and cause she lived about an hour away. So we would text and then we had a date set up where I was going to her hometown and we were going to go, you know, do a a formal date. And then she happened to be passing through where I live in CUNA, Boise area, because she had to go, I think she was going to pick up her kids on a custody thing. And so she was passing through. And so it was even before like our first official date, but I said, Hey, why don't you just stop by? I have like a little fire pit in the back. We'll do up some s'mores. And so like our first official, like the first time we met in person was with all of our kids there. Wow. Oh my gosh. She did break all the rules. I know. (laughs) I had four. She had two. So we got six kids and my oldest was eight. Wow. And my youngest was three, I think. And her youngest was two. And so, yeah, that was like our first time hanging out together, even seeing each other in person. We'd we'd talked a lot through text message, but uh, yeah, was with all of our kids there. Wow. Yeah. So that was strange. And me thinking that, you know, I had cleaned up the house pretty good for somebody to come over. And she's told me since she's like, I walked in and I was like, oh my gosh, this house <laughs> is terrible. Single uh, man, or he's, he yeah, doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, so, but uh, yeah. And then it was just, you know, a pretty quick process. It's, it's, I went on one other date with one other person in between there oh. and was, you know, I guess like, uh, nope, that's not for me. Brooks for me. And uh, so wow. we, yeah, started dating in like June, um, got engaged in September. And so, you know, it's by probably late July or August that we're talking pretty intently about it. And so, yeah, it was kind of a whirlwind of quick connection. And, you know, looking back, it's funny because there are multiple times in our now 12 years of marriage where she has said things like, you know, we never talked about that when we were dating, or I didn't know that when we were dating, or we probably should have discussed that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we probably should have. That would have been a good idea. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting because I I look back and try to self-analyze and think, you know, was it that coming off of this horrific experience and this fear that like, oh my gosh, if I don't make this relationship work, like I'll never have an opportunity ever to do anything ever again. And so sometimes I think that's one of the challenges is operating out of fear Mm -hmm. that you've just gone through this terrible thing. And so the 
the first opportunity you have to try to rectify that might be like, oh my goodness, if mm-hmm. I can't make this relationship work, then then something's really wrong with me. Yeah. Um, type thing. So I, I, you know, I think a lot about where I was at mentally and emotionally through those things. And that I think has led to a fair amount of growing and pain and heartache after the fact. But uh, you know, in the end, Brooke and I have now been married for 12 years and uh have gotten through. So that's awesome. Yeah. Not a path I would recommend for anybody. And you know, what's <laughs> fascinating is as I tell people, I mean, marrying someone with kids, I think my wife would talk about this even more emphatically than I do. The decision to marry someone with children should be done with extreme thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh that that is a bigger decision than I think most people could uh, possibly anticipate. And I don't know that there's a lot that can prepare you for it, but it's something you have to take into account. And then, you know, gosh, the involvement of the ex-spouse, we live in kind of a weird situation because um, my ex-wife lives five minutes away and we have 50-50 custody. Brooke's ex-husband lives in Utah. So he's like 350 miles away and he has very limited custody and doesn't take full advantage of the custody that he has. Mm-hmm. And so we have these weird situations where her kids are here almost hundred percent of the time, mm-hmm. but have a less significant relationship with their dad, my kids back and forth every other week, but mm-hmm. still are, have a, a close relationship with both of their parents and step-parents. So yeah, we, we would be a fascinating like For case sure. study on the impact of the different types of custody and distance from um, yeah. biological parents and all that. So for sure, I relate totally. My husband and I were both married before we both had children with our previous spouses. He had one and I had three and then we came together and had a baby. So we have five in our blended family, but similar with the custody and visitation and things. And yeah, I tell people all the time, it is exponentially more complicated than you can possibly imagine with the exes and all the relatives. And just how much more complicated life becomes. And that all affects that marriage. That affects that union. There's a lot of complications involved. So I understand. I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) Stuff you'd never imagine, uh, you know, or like I I have behind me, those are like the graduation posters Uh for two kids who are graduate. And then it's just like, okay, when are you going to dinner? Are you, when are you going to dinner with your mom? When are you going to dinner with your dad? I know a lot of relate. Every relationship is different. Ours personally, we're not like in a position where we're like, "Hey, let's all get together and let's all do dinner together." Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. maybe it would be good if that were the case, but it's not for us. Yeah. So, yeah, we don't have that know. either. I ha- yeah. I know of situations like that, and I'm I'm always amazed when it can happen and everyone wants it to happen. Great, wonderful. We yeah. don't have a situation like that either, and so there's a lot of planning and coordinating and. And just being aware and trying to be considerate about all of those things. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's complicated. Yeah. So let me ask you, how are you different in your current marriage? Are there things that you learned from your previous marriage that you decided, I don't want to do those things anymore, but I want to take the good. I always try to encourage people what, no matter why your first marriage ended, there are things you can learn. There are things that you can benefit from learning, things that you don't want to repeat and things that you do want to take with you. Mm-hmm. What are, or do you have some things that you've learned? Um, I, you know, and it's interesting to know whether it's um, just a byproduct of um, changing family dynamics or what, but my wife, Brooke and I, we go on a lot more dates, a lot more one-on-one time, a lot more, uh, all right, let's, we got to get a this will sound bad, but it's true. Got to get away from the kids for a little bit and focus than what I had done in my first nine years of marriage. So that's a, when I look at it, I think, okay, that's a fairly significant change. And the other one is, is just honestly, my wife, Brooke and I, we've been through a fair amount of counseling and that's something that never happened Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, even in the face of what were some apparent problems and challenges, but I think maybe a more openness to say like, Hey, let's go talk this through with somebody who knows what they're talking about. And I have a personal opinion. 
I have had nothing but fantastic bishops. They've been spectacular and none of them are licensed marriage and family therapists. Mm-hmm. And it's sad. I feel bad for bishops who come into our home at times in the past <laughs> because you just see how quickly it's like, it kind of gets beyond their capacity, their education, you know, yeah. what they're incredible men. They're not uneducated. They're just engineers. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. So, they don't know how to give you counseling. Yeah. Totally so, agree with that. Yeah. I, you know, I tell people like, sure. Does it help to talk to a bishop? Sure. Probably need to talk to a licensed marriage and family counselor that yes. you both feel comfortable with, you know, and, and Brooke and I have actually been to a, a handful of them um, for, you know, different reasons or whatever. So I think openness to help, I think individual time together have been helpful. And I've, I think I've grown my, my wife will probably laugh at this. I think I've grown as a communicator. All of us have a response style Mm -hmm. and my response style is more closed off. So when, uh, argument or a difficult situation happens, I am much more likely to sort of close off, go up to the bonus room, shut the door, sit down on the couch Mm -hmm. and shoot, I'll sleep on the couch. I don't care. Can I sleep anywhere? You (laughs) know, I I kind of turtle up. I go into that, Mm -hmm. but it's an awareness of that of like, okay, I probably, you know, that's not necessarily helping. So, you know, it's a process of growth. It's yeah, I'm I'm a better person now than I was then. And uh, I think I still would have maybe gotten to this point, but it's fascinating to see the impact that pain has on people mm-hmm. um, and the growth that is a byproduct of pain. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I think I'm a better, a better person now than I was primarily around just communicating and, and uh, being open to help. Yeah, that's awesome. Such good advice. I love all of that. So if you could go back and give yourself some advice, let's say on the day you were divorced, which is, it's a painful day. It's a day no one wants to experience. And maybe on the day that of your second marriage, you know, for those who are listening, let's say they have those two days kind of looming. Um, what would your advice be? Uh the day of my divorce, I think it would be, yeah, slow down, take time. There's no rush. And again, it's weird because then I went incredibly quickly. <laughs> you, worked out. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. you look at it, but I think in an ideal world, I would have taken more time mm-hmm. to process and more time maybe through the dating process and, and particularly talking through more clearly how we were going to handle certain situations, mm-hmm. um, differences of opinion on certain things. Uh, that type of thing. And then, yeah, on the day of my marriage, I guess I would say uh, the, the advice I would give would primarily re- revolve around focus. Okay. And maintaining my focus on a solid relationship with Brooke, maintaining my focus on those things that are most critical, maintain my focus on personal growth, relationship growth, family growth, and not let kind of other factors move in because we all lose focus from time to time and get distracted. And then you have to come back and be like, no, okay, I got to get back to things that are most important. So um, yeah, that's probably the advice I'd give myself then. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Tell me about the role that your faith or your testimony, your relationship with Heavenly Father, how was that a part of your journey and through your divorce and beyond and your second marriage, your life now? Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny. I actually read a verse just this morning and knowing we were preparing for this, it was funny because it just kind of hit me, but, um, I'd never noticed this part before. Uh, first Nephi 18, 21 is when his brothers finally untied Nephi from the boat. He, he picks up the Liahona. It starts working. And I've always focused on the Liahona part, but then the the second half of the verse says, I prayed unto the Lord. And after I had prayed, the winds did cease and the storm did cease and there was a great calm. Um, and I think that's what we're looking for in our relationship with Christ is for an opportunity to take pain and have help in creating calm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for what whether you go through divorce or not, you're going to go through pain. That was just the brand of pain that I was given. 
what's fascinating is that I look back at the t- my life up to that point, and as I mentioned, man, I had gone through some difficult things, but it wasn't anything for what I was about to go through. Mm-hmm. And so it's possible that the deep connection to the Savior and understanding that process of pain and peace was not yet fully developed in my heart and mind because I had not yet had the pain necessary to teach the lesson. Um, And so that's that turning point. So many people, when they go through these difficult things, that's, that's the moment of decision. Is this going to harden my heart or soften my heart? Is this going to drive a wedge between uh, the Savior and I, or is this going to build a deeper a welding link? It, it's not the pain that's really the problem. It's not the challenge that's really the problem. It's not the decisions of others or whatever. It's really, okay, what am I going to do with this? And mm-hmm. is this going to drive me closer to the Savior or push me further away? And all of that is dependent on how much effort we want to put in. You know, the Savior is there, he's calling, he's back. We know where the Savior is. The question is, is where are we? So yeah. Um, And faith and relationships and positive experiences with bishops and friends with both within my faith and out had a significant impact on helping me, I guess, not lose my way during that time. Yeah. I love that. And I love that thought about the scripture and first Nephi. It is the storms that lead us to pray and to ask God, come into my story, come into my life and help me. And I love it. That's when we find our peace. That's beautiful. Let me ask you about a little bit about what you do and making habits fun. I know on your podcast, uh, your podcast is Happily Ever Habits. And in your book, Happily Ever Habits, A Happier Life doesn't happen by accident. It happens by habit. I love that that you talk about stopping the grind of, you know, your to-do list, like you talked about earlier and all of the things that we want to do and focus on doing better. So how do you recommend that we do that? I know you talk about that a lot in your book and your podcast, but if you would could share just a little bit about how you teach people to do that, I'd love for you to share with my listeners. Um, Sure. So in the in the book, I go through three things that you're going to need to do any habit. Doesn't matter what the habit is. It doesn't. If you want to start flossing, it's the same process. If you want to read every single day, it's the same process. If you want to write a thank you note, handwritten thank you note to one person once a week, same process. Every habit is the same process, and I go through it. And um, it's to start small, make it easy, and celebrate small wins. And then I give you specific tasks for each of those. But where we often have to start one, we have most change starts from a place of pain. And so (laughs) as as long as you continue to adjust to the current reality and call it fine, you're unlikely to make change. It's not until you decide that the current state is maybe no longer acceptable that you're going to decide, okay, I'm going to make some change. And for most of us, we don't get hit in the face with a baseball bat. Yeah. So we don't have an external driver. Sometimes that can be divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes that can be loss of a job or loss of a family member or a medical diagnosis. There's there's things that can impact it. But at some point, you just have to decide what you want your life to be. You just have to decide, this is what I want, and I'm going to make it happen. One of the challenges is, is then we often say, okay, I'm going to add this. I'm going to add this. I'm going to add this. And so that's a mindset shift is that the value of every action is determined by all the things we don't do because we do that. Ah, I like that. And so the, you know, I spent two hours last night at awards banquets, (laughs) one for softball, one for choir. Yes. The value of being there is actually all the things I didn't do during those two hours. Right. I didn't mow my lawn. I didn't watch an NBA basketball game. I didn't, <laughs> I don't know, go running. I did. You could make a list forever of all the things you didn't do. Well, that's the value of that time mm-hmm. is all the things you sacrificed to get there. And that's true no matter what. So at, at a certain point, we have to identify, no, I can't do it all. And that's okay. It's not intended for us to do it all. It is intended for us to decide these are the things that matter. And I place so much value on these things 
that I'm going to sacrifice pretty much everything else. Because when you decide that, you actually provide the how much you value that thing. Right. If you really value, say, 20 minutes a day reading, it's everything else you don't do during those 20 minutes that gives that reading value. So that's important is because then you have to start determining what are the things that bring me the most happiness? What are the actions that actually bring me joy? And you, we, the book invites you to become intentional about that, to say what really matters to me, what core characteristics are important. And then I walk you through, okay, let's find the smallest action necessary. Let's say you decide being nice to other people makes me happy. That's pretty universally proven. Right. Fastest way to improve your um, mood is to do something nice for somebody else. Okay. So what's the smallest thing I can do? Cause I want to start small so I can start building momentum. Uh, oftentimes we make change in a state of motivation, but motivation is fickle. And right. so then we don't stay with change. And so then we look at ourselves and we say, I'm not the type of person who can change. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm no good at change. I'm not very consistent. I'm not, I'm not this and I'm not that. So when you start small, you build momentum and now you say, oh no, I am the type of person who's nice. And, but just do one small thing, one kind act for one member of your family today, try to make it less than two minutes because then you can do it. You can say, oh yes, I did it. I'm good. I'm feeling great about myself. I have better momentum heading into the next day to do one more small kind act for one member of your family. And now you start to actually change the narrative that you have about yourself. I'm a nice person. And then what's crazy is is as soon as you identify yourself as a nice person, opportunities to be nice will suddenly explode in your vision. Not because they weren't there before, but just because you see them differently. So yes, that is um, so good. I love that. As you know, that's something I talk about a lot is mindset and how your mindset controls your reality. And you have just articulated that perfectly. It's like you're opening your mind up to to now see those opportunities. And I like the way you connected that to your identity, that I am a person who does kind things. So your mind is like, yeah, how am I doing that? I love it. That's awesome. So fun. And so, yeah, the book goes through step-by-step exactly how you would, I, I, I call it starting and sticking, start and stick to the habits because- most of them you already know. Like most of me, like, I know I should be doing that. I know I should be reading or studying, you know, spending time with God's word every day or spending time in prayer. I've heard that meditation is helpful. I've heard I should be <laughs> drinking more water. I've heard that writing down gratitude statements, my gratitude journals right there is helpful, but you got to start and stick. So the book helps you do that. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. It's true. And I like your point that most of us know those things that we should be doing or we want to do more. We yeah. act like, I don't know what to do. We know what those things are. It's most just, times. Most of the time. Yeah. Creating yeah. those habits. That's awesome. So cool. My last question that I have for you is about finding joy in your journey. You know, that is my purpose and my passion is to try to help people dealing with divorce find joy in the journey. So what does finding joy in the journey mean to you? Yeah, I think it's fun because I think you're like the only person who can bring joy and happiness to the topic of, (laughs) let's talk, let's have a joyful conversation about divorce. Um, I try. (laughs) And for me, it is that process. I have found that I don't do these things because I'm a happy person. I was always kind of a happy person, but life takes its toll. And what I found for myself personally was if I wasn't intentional in the consistent pursuit of joy, I slipped further and further into kind of a a strange sense of almost you know, kind of a strange darkness. I call it sun setting. Mm-hmm. And for many people, I think we just we're we're sort of floating through sunset, but it's when I intentionally say, I know doing this thing makes me happier. And, and for me, movement does. And so I make it a habit to exercise and try to move every single day. Cause that just helps mm-hmm. um, doing kind things for other people just helps. And so I have 
a series of behaviors for me. Writing in my gratitude journal helps. Uh, studying my scriptures every day helps. And this is kind of like my little fortress right here where I'm sitting. It's so funny because literally right there is my gratitude journal. That helps. Right here are my scriptures. That helps. Right here is the book I'm reading because reading is something that helps me feel good because I, I feel like I'm growing. Right here are my thank you notes. And that helps me. Um, right here's a little doodle pad because I don't know, just when my mind starts to go, I just like to sit and doodle and color. Um, behind my laptop, I have a hanging thing of Disney pins. I've become a small Disney pin collector. And so I just look <laughs> at those and that kind of brings me. To... And so, you know, the concept is, is that God does want us to be happy and we can take some proactive, intentional steps to make that happy. Find the things that make you happy. Make it a part of your everyday life. Don't just ex kind of expect it to happen. As I say, it doesn't happen by accident. Mm -hmm. It is the intentional habit forming process that really brings these things into our life. That is so good. I really love your answer. Wow. I think it's one of the most unique that I've ever received because it's so practical. You're actually sharing practical tips about how to take responsibility for your own happiness and then take steps to make yourself have more joy, experience more happiness. I love it. Jason, that's so awesome. Thank you. Well, please share with my audience how they can get in touch with you, follow you, find you, share your links. Um, yeah. So all of my stuff is the Jason Harwood. Turns out jasonharwood.com was already taken. So I became thejasonharwood.com. And my Instagram is thejasonharwood and Facebook, thejasonharwood. So if you go to thejasonharwood.com or on Instagram at thejasonharwood. Ah, oh, perfect. I love it. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, Jen, thanks. It's been so fun chatting with you. If you're ready to dive deeper into this work and learn the tools and the skills you need to change the trajectory of your life forever, go to LDSDivorce.com and sign up for a free consultation with me. This is just the tip of the iceberg, my friends. There is so much more. I would love to work with you and be your life coach.